Welcome to this Columbia University Comunitas Public Management Podcast. Today we'll be featuring a master class by Columbia University professor Thomas Trebat on competitiveness in cities. Dr. Trebat is the director of Columbia's Global Center in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, and the former director of CEPA's Center for Latin American Studies. Prior to joining CEPA, Professor Trebat was managing director and head of the Latin American team in the Economic and Market Analysis Department of Citigroup. He is also the author of Brazil's State-Owned Enterprises, a case study of the state as entrepreneur, published by Cambridge University Press. Professor Trebat will be talking today about the factors that make cities competitive in today's global and increasingly interconnected economy. In 1965, the per capita income of Singapore, this little island off the coast of Malaysia, between, squeezed between Malaysia in the north and Indonesia in the south, a former British colony, um, uh, a largely Chinese uh, population, Chinese very discriminated against in that part of the world, uh, surrounded by nations that were not, either not friendly or openly hostile to Singapore. They had a per capita income of $700 in 1965 when I was in your position in a university studying. Today, the per capita income now in 2017, so 52 or so years later, is $65,000. So how did they do that? It, don't tell me it's something that has to do with Chinese culture, and that's very different from Brazil, and that we all know, and education, and blah. No, there's more than that. It's because they had a vision that was broadly understood, clearly articulated, involved government interacting with the private sector, took advantage of opportunities, minimized uh, constraints. Um, uh, and so that's sort of, and it's a city that I'd like to use sort of as an example, although it's hard to see it. And I don't think, has anybody ever been in Singapore? Yeah. Am I right that is Singapore? <laughs> you didn't recognize it. Certainly this is the old colonial administration building. I think it really is Singapore. The Maybank is in Singapore and I've been there a number of times myself. But uh, um, uh, so we'll begin with that and, uh, and I'm trying to keep this interesting because I don't want you to think, oh, it's a kind of share in share the economies. I'm basically a macroeconomist, a development economist. I teach uh, here at SEPA, I've taught about I've taught on economic development of Latin America. I, I work on all of Latin America, but my specialty has always been Brazil. So I taught about the economy of Brazil, uh, politics and, and the economy in Brazil. I've taught that for many years here before I moved to Rio. Uh, so my background is really more macro and development oriented, what we call. Uh, it's not at the city level. I've never worked in a city hall. I've lived in cities, uh, uh, and the, but I've become to think that this theme is is a very important theme. I came to this theme because I was very interested in this concept of competitiveness at the national level. Por que alguns países dão certo e outros não? It's a kind of a basic question in economics. Why is it that some countries succeed while others fail? Um, why is it Latin America, Latin North America has done so well, parts of Europe have done so well, certainly parts of Asia have done so well, and in many parts of, of Africa uh, Southern Europe, uh, um, uh, and certainly uh, Latin America, region almost defined by what the Latinoamericanos call fracaso mania, uh, that it, it can't work here, nothing works here. So why is that? What are the differences? And it's, 
it's a fascinating, it's a lifelong sort of an interest that I've had. But so I've, I've always looked at the level of competitiveness. Um, and and that's, that's kind of a, a funny word, but I want to look at the local level, states and regions. But, so forgive me while I go over, um, just like Paul Lagunas did, there's a little bit of theory uh, of how we think about growth that you need to have as a background, or I think it's good for you to have as a background. Um, the first slide isn't going to seem all that complicated, a lot of words, uh, but not all that complicated. Uh, first is, what is competitiveness? And I've struggled to make that word sound easier to the students, and I haven't succeeded. So I said, well, it's really what economists mean by competitiveness. Really, it's almost the same, almost the same as productivity. And, and that's a boring word too, but what does it mean? It's, it's easy to understand. Productivity is increasing the amount of output per worker in an economy. Simply think of it that way. Instead of, we can produce more in a factory, in this room, uh, with one more student, but our productivity wouldn't go up. It'd be just a little more work, a little more work because we have an extra person. The trick in economic growth is not to just keep increasing output by adding people, or even by adding machines, it's increasing, it's the combination of machines, people, and other improvements in the environment. What economists historically have called the X factor, one we can't completely explain by labor or by investment. The X factor in economic growth, that makes the, uh, the, a combination, the same combination of capital and labor more productive, increases output per worker. Um, and why do we focus on output per worker? and productivity because we've discovered through econometric tests the most competitive economies in the world are not those that are adding lots of people, otherwise China would be the most developed country in the world, and it isn't. It's economies that work uh, with, uh, in, by focusing on increasing their, the productivity in their economy. So that's an important word. Uh, what then you say, well, okay, that's easy to say. What factors determine productivity? And there are a thousand ways that economists have talked about over the years. Um, some of the ones I like to use is Harvard professor Michael Porter, who's made his reputation looking at competitiveness issues. Uh, the World Economic Forum, uh, that group that meets in Davos, Switzerland every year, and comes up with competitiveness rankings. I'm gonna talk about that in a minute, has an approach. Uh, the economist Danny Asimoglu and James Robinson uh, have looked at uh, this whole issue as well of productivity and, and, and competitiveness. So many, many, many other approaches uh, have been used. But w in an initial approach, we can say that productivity is determined by factors that, first of all, go well beyond what any city can do. Monetary and fiscal policy, you've got to have uh, a, an economy, a national economy that's fairly well organized, uh, a, uh, interest rates that are fairly low, a banking system that works well, uh, a budget process that's clear and transparent at the national level, economic growth occurring at the national level. All of that is, is one determinant of productivity. It goes well beyond what a prefeito pode fazer, right? So, but that it's important. A second big category of three, monetary and fiscal policy, social and political institutions and infrastructure. It seems pretty clear, right? In, uh, uh, institutions are, uh, they have to do with and honesty in government, how well the courts work, the role of political parties, uh, the budget process, uh, uh, business ethics, many things that you've seen over these last two weeks 
are all part of what we call institutions. Talk about that a little bit more because the word is, seems clear to us, but it need, I, I'm always thinking about what institutions really mean. But basic institutions, institutions, are, uh, have that name because they took a long time to be the way they are. Decades, hundreds of years in the United States for us to develop a government that doesn't believe in national health care. It believes that citizens are responsible for their own health care. And it's different in Brazil. Brazil has a different view of what the role of the state should be in the economy. But these are examples of, of institutions. The separation of powers in an economy, uh, whether there's a, a, a pre an executive, a legislature, and a judicial uh, that separate and divide powers so that people believe in their government. We're testing that institution now in the United States because we have an absolute maluco in charge of the government, the, pre the executive office. But lo and behold, the legislature is acting as a check on him, and the court system is a check on both. Um, so we're putting the institution of American government separation of powers under a great deal of But so far, there's some hope that it may be working. I think people have a common understanding of what government should be like, or else there's a revolution. And Brazil is not a revolution. So the government we have in Brazil is a government that uh, has come down for many years, decades, centuries even, from the time of the Portuguese, and it has created in the minds of Brazilians an idea of what the state should do. So it isn't, the state isn't apart from the institutions, how, how people in, in a society understand one another and what role they attribute to government. It, it isn't a foreign, the state is not a, the role that the state assumes is something that comes out of that, that, that institution, if you will, I think. <laughs> anyway, schools, education, that's an, that's an institution. Uh, uh, valuing uh, health and education of all children, diffusion of public education, quality of public education, that's an institution. Um, budgets, that while they may or may not tax the risks rich heavily. They are concerned with the, the condition of the, the mais vulnerables, the poorest of the poor. That's an institution. But there are negative examples of institutions too. Those that were in communist China, in the Soviet Union, in, in, uh, uh, in many other uh, uh, countries of the world. Not holding up the United States as any uh, prime example, but institutions do do determine levels of, of competitiveness. And I would say it's not, it's a, it's a common understanding in society of how the economy should work, what should the role of the state be. Um, uh, but it's not limited to the public sector. Institutions also exist in the private sector. Um, are, uh, are, politic, are politicians corrupt? I mean, are uh, uh, businesses corrupt? Uh, because it takes a corrupt business to have a corrupt politician respects. Business ethics, the way you treat stockholders, the way you treat your employees. These are also common understandings. They should earn a minimum wage. They should have health in, in, insurance. They, they should be uh, working in safe conditions. These are institutions as well. They don't change because Donald Trump won and, and uh, Barack Obama uh, is no longer in office. That's a, it's an institution. So that's probably what we mean by, in general, what we mean by institutions. I'll hopefully I won't go on too long. Infrastructure is a word that's really understood, isn't it? But it's your network of, of roads. It's logistics. It's transportation. It's, uh, um, uh, it's, it's schools. It's hospitals. Uh, 
Uh, I think that's clear uh, and, and clear. So if we get an econometric model, which economists like to do, and we say, here uh, is where productivity is going the fastest, what are the factors that determine that? You could hold other factors constant, and you would conclude that there's an enormous effect of monetary and fiscal policy. The national economic economy determines a lot of, uh, of productivity. But separately, there's a separate influence in the quantitative evidence that social and political institutions and infrastructure have a separable, measurable effect on competitiveness. But there's a third, and that's the one I really want to focus on today. There are microeconomic factors. What are the rules, taxation, credit, businesses, um, local development efforts, sector-specific interventions? That's a little bit of a jargon. But how do governments help specific sectors of the economy to grow? Local efforts. Also, when you control for the first two factors, when you control for the first two, this third also has an important impact on development. And the reason I want to highlight it today, and I wanted to call your attention, is because that's more under the control of local, gov local governments, cities, states, and regions. Um, so th that's all. So you think, well, that's very simple. I think we get it. Productivity depends on a, a series of factors which can be roughly grouped uh, by this, these factors, in these three, these three categories. So it's pretty simple. But uh, no, it's not quite so simple. <laughs> Attempts to measure productivity and put this into place are actually quite complicated. But they are understandable to the layperson. Uh, uh, and I'll, I'll show you one approach, which is one used by the Foro uh, Economico Mundial, the World Economic Forum, that group that rich people who meet every year in, in Davos, in, in, in Switzerland. Eles produzem relatório anual, saem nos manchetes no dia seguinte, and then everybody forgets about them. But they actually do very, very serious work in measuring competitiveness, measuring productivity increases. And it's work done here at Columbia University. That's why I'm very proud of it originally by a famous professor, Jeffrey Sachs, now by other Columbia professors who developed the methodology. And that's that methodology that I've used a lot in my classes on macroeconomics, on competitiveness at the national level. And sort of the framework that the World Economic Forum uses um, at a very low levels of economic organization, as economies grow, they first must pay attention to what are called basic requirements. So let's call that basic. Uh, these include the institutions, infrastructure, the macro, uh, macroeconomic environment, monetary and fiscal policy, health and primary education. These are basics. No economy gets to a high levels of income per capita without taking care of the basics. And I'll tell you, this is an area, you can skip these areas. They, they aren't one and then the other. They're all sort of happening. These stages happen simultaneously, but at low levels of economic uh, development, these, fat, these basics are what are most important. As economies advance on the basis of the basics, they're more concerned with efficiency. Uh, efficiency, how do labor markets work? Uh, how, uh, how, how is the financial system working? How ready is the population to adapt new technologies? Um, what education in relation to basic education? So uh, as uh, the first concern of the uh, World Economic Forum to measure, it take basic indicators 
and then efficiency in, in uh, uh, the stage of growth of efficiency, what we call efficiency-driven economies, is like a, the global middle class. These are, this is Bolivia, you might say, or Haiti. This is Brazil or Argentina or Mexico. Uh, uh, middle income, but the really high flyers, uh, are those who go to a third stage of economic growth, which is the emphasis on innovation, creation of new products, new technologies, creating demand. And this is where you find, well, you, you find os suspeitos de sempre, I think they say in Brazil. Uh, the top countries in the world would be, the United States would be among the top five. Rarely is it number one, but it would be Singapore. Hong Kong would be in the top 10, Finland, Scandinavian countries, Japan, Germany. Uh, but the United States is up here too. And these are a that are that done the basics relatively well. They have fairly efficient economies uh, and they're innovating. They're pushing the frontier out. Here I, I use it in the sense of um, the creation of new products uh, and new technologies. Um, the digital economy, it didn't, you know, it wasn't really everywhere. It started somewhere and then diffused uh, all over the world. Um, uh, the, uh, innovation and sophistication of, of businesses. It's, a, it's driverless cars, right? It's solar energy. That is what I mean by innovation at the macro level. Innovations such that they push the national economy forward and with it, the global economy, na sequencia. But that's what innovation does. So that's part of the process of economic growth. All of these are measured. These are 12 pillars. I won't go through them all. But you can see within the three basic efficiency innovation, there are 12 pillars. There are something like 100 and more than 100 separate measurable indicators that are say, well, how is the educational system in Brazil compared to the rest of the world? How efficient are Brazil's markets compared to the rest of the world? How innovative, uh, innovative is Brazil compared to the rest of the world? How sophisticated are Brazilian businesses compared to the rest of the world? So we have a time series. The World Economic Forum has been doing this for about 15 years now. And, and it's a fairly well-developed uh, uh, time series. And I wanted just to show you, um, uh, I'll show you a little bit about some of the results. We know, um, we know Brazil doesn't do very well it's uh, in, in addition, but maybe we don't know more than that. Why doesn't Brazil do well? In what areas has Brazil as a whole uh, fallen to the world? Just to, a little bit to understand uh, a little bit more the 12 pillars, uh, um, perhaps some of the, the newer, the newer, maybe ignoring the top phrase, the top the newer drivers, because the global competitiveness, global, Competitiveness index of the world economic forum is not a static thing. Econometric, economic, economists are studying this constantly and developing new understandings. Some of the newer uh, uh, understandings that they're developing is is precisely what uh, Marilia was saying: the role of innovations, innovation, uh, in innovation systems. Uh, we talk a lot about the kind of the jargon as an ecosystem of innovation. Perhaps you've heard about it in your local cities, or you've heard about it in the two weeks you are here. But truly successful uh, economies innovate through the creation of a rich ecosystem, government, linking government research with companies, with universities, to create an ecosystem. There are new approaches as well as to the impact of education and how children learn, for example, or what the children are taught. 
economic growth can depend on what is being taught in the schools and how it's being taught. So the role of education. Finally, since the crisis of 2008, economists have paid much more attention to how the financial system works uh, and has led to a development, you've probably heard about that in your lectures here so far, uh, uh, how to avoid, how to anticipate or mitigate the effects of financial crises and the emergence and the importance of what are called macroprudential policies. How can governments intervene to keep financial systems stable? Certainly, we're recovering after 10 years from, uh, from uh, uh, the crisis of 2007 and 2008. So those are the, a little bit of the macro view. There's a, a next chart that looks again at institutions. It does look at kind of what, what do institutions really do in a society. I think I've talked about that. I've emphasized ethics as well as rules, laws, institutions. I've talked about a little bit the role of the state, enforcing property rights, uh, guaranteeing security of its citizens, segurança, is the way they would say it in Brazil. And then what determines the quality of institutions, the absence of corruption and undue influence on government efficiency of the public sector and separation of power. So I think I've talked enough about that and the idea is, is clear about the role of institutions in economic growth. They're very important and they're not, they don't change quickly. So um, it, it, it takes years. So with all that said, how does Brazil come out in Brazil como un todo, Brazil macroeconomic, macro, uh, how does it come out in this global competitiveness index that I've just talked to you about? This is the results for a recent year, I think it's 2016, with 140 economies in the world. And I think we all know the results. In 2016, Brazil ranked 75th out of 140. So, bem no meio, e mais preocupante ainda is that in look at the previous years, because it is a time series, 48, 56, 57, 75, uh, Brazil seems to be slipping. The, the, it, the, the methodology at least allows us to speculate about why it's, it's slipping. Uh, and where, uh, where is Brazil more poorly ranked? Remember, key number is 140. So you want to be like 1, 2, 5, 10. You don't want to be 120, 130 uh, in this index. Where is Brazil falling short? Uh, well, look at this. In the basic requirements, uh, Brazil is ranked 103 out of 140. It can't be that bad. I don't think it's that bad. But the, the numbers are what the numbers are. You have to deal with the numbers. There are basic institutions, 121 out of 140 nations in the world. Basically, the impact of corruption. Uh, their infrastructure, really not so bad. Uh, the macroeconomic environment, terrible. The economy is not growing. Interest rates are too high. And their health and education system, 103 uh, out of, again, out of 140. So Brazil has sort of developed to the extent it has an alicerces bem devis. I don't know if you can say it that way. A numa falha, it's called. Certain basics were overlooked. The institutions didn't develop in a way consistent with productivity growth. I know, the, I know the rationale. I follow the debate in Brazil. I'm not totally convinced that everything has to stop unless we get labor reform, or, or, but I understand what you're saying, and let's come back to that. Uh, I, I wanted just to finish what Brazil, the, big, the big picture in Brazil. You have a fairly uncompetitive national economy, mainly because Brazil is so weak in basic requirements. It isn't much better in terms of efficiency, although its score on efficiency, the second panel, 
is 55 out of 140, so it looks better. But if you look at the individual indicators, the quality of those higher education and training programs is 93rd. Uh, it's, it's good, it's goods markets are highly monopolized. Uh, they're 128, that's pretty bad. Uh, this is a labor reform issue of uh, Julieta, because Julieta is reminding us about 122. Uh, but they do much better in terms of financial departments. We have, we have a very good financial system in Brazil. And technological readiness, how many firms and people are linked to the internet, for example, how many iPhones are there out there, 54. But really where Brazil scores very well in efficiency is it's easier to be efficient if you're large. And so that bails Brazil out, as Americanos found. It, it, it sort of covers up a, a lot of weaknesses. Just, you can make mistakes when you're that big. When you're Chile, you can't, but Brazil gets away with it because it's number seven, the seventh largest economy by population, by the way, in, in the world. So efficiency indicators, it's a mixed bag. And then what about the factors, how well is Brazil prepared for the future? And here the story is actually not so bad. It's not great, but it's not so bad. Brazil is ranked 64th in the world uh, out of 140. Their businesses are fairly sophisticated. Uh, businesses. That's the major element driving, driving this score here. But they're not particularly known, Brazil is not particularly known as an innovative society. Uh, going back to Marília's observation that you measure that by the announcements that are being filed, by the numbers of multinational corporations with headquartered in Brazil, with their headquarters in Brazil. You measure that in a, 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 a lot of different ways, the new products coming out of Brazil. Um, it may not be fair, and Brazil certainly innovates in agricultural production, innovates in aero, aerospace production, but in general, in general, it doesn't do very well in terms of what preparing for the future. But it's not, it's a mixed record. But basically, it's not a very competitive economy. Uh, Marília, or uh, uh, I think it was Marília, or maybe Julieta, called attention to the business environment as such. The World Economic Forum also asks businesses what are the biggest problems for doing business in your economy? So certainly taxes and tax reform are up there at the top of what makes Brazil a difficult place to do business. Let, let's move on. So then you say, well, okay, that was 2016. No doubt Brazil got the message, and 2017 will be better, right? So let's look at what happened in 2017. This is the ranking uh, in the 2017 approach, uh, Latin America and the Caribbean only. I didn't get to the others. There are 138 recent World Economic Forum, you can see it's, it, it, we, Brazil went from 75 now down to 81. A smaller pool and a lower ranking, so not good. It's down below, who believes this? We're less competitive in Guatemala? No, I don't quite say. Jamaica, uh, uh, Peru, and, and quite a, you might say the, the numbers are rough. We're not exactly, but sort of we're in a group with Peru, Uruguay, Jamaica, Guatemala. We're in that kind of a group, uh, Colombia. But we're different from Costa Rica, Mexico, Panama, and certainly Chile, which have been more successful facing, 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 nice cup of coffee that keeps me uh, going here. Uh, I'm already going to go all, all afternoon into the evening, so with the coffee, I don't want to So Brazil is, um, is not a very competitive place. You knew that already. You knew that already. And, and I was listening to Professor Paul Lagunas' um, uh, presentation last week, remember, on corruption. And remember he had a funny curve? It sort of went a little bit like 
which were the, the payoff, the payoff to being corrupt and the level of corruption in there in your society. Remember that? I thought that there's something similar going on in competitiveness. Why should you at the local level worry about big competitiveness when the country itself is in such a mess? Non adianta. No, no tem motivo to implement, to improve the business uh, environment in Niterói, in Teresina, in São Paulo, in, in Campinas, in wherever. Uh, so there is sort of not an incentive to engage in these reforms at the local level. But my point today is exactly the opposite. This is the time to focus at local, at local strategies. This is a time when there's a large payoff, larger than people perceive, to focusing at development at the local level. Not everything can be changed, but that doesn't mean that nothing can be changed. Uh, and it must be changed. Uh, sooner or later, maybe 2018, maybe 2020, maybe 2022, uh, Brazil is going to take a while to get organized at the national level. But in the meantime, development uh, efforts must proceed at the local level. That was my point. So, that goes back to where I should have maybe started right away. You would have said, well, we knew all that already. But in this, I wanted to set the general macro focus for you by four looking at the cities. And I heard Professor Fuse yesterday at lunch, Esther Fuse, talking about cities. And, um, and you heard it again from Regina Siqueira this afternoon at lunch. Uh, these are, why are cities so important? Because the, the national economy is the sum of a lot of cities where people actually live and development really occurs. Development occurs where there are so-called, fancy word, agglomeration economies. There's lots of people. They're very dense. We can have a single infrastructure affecting a lot of people, bringing together a lot of firms in a, in a single place. And Brazil, Brazil is one of the most rapidly urbanized countries in the world. We don't realize that. But since the time, I don't want to make this all so personal, Brazil has gone uh, from a very low level of urbanization to 85% of Brazilians live in cities. 85%. Um, I don't know what this cutoff is for a city in Brazil, but it's, we'll say, more than 100,000 people or more than 50,000 people. So a large number, Brazil has urbanized very, very quickly. I thought it was funny, by the way, and I don't want to get off track, but Professor Fuse yesterday was talking, and it must not have made sense to many of you about the suburbs. Because they fala suburbio no Brasil, no Rio, and you think, oh my God, tá roubado, você vai morando lá no suburbio, tá tão ruim que tá morando lá no suburbio. Mas for us, for us in the United States, you want to live in Westchester County, you want to live in in Bergen County, New Jersey, you want to live out in Long Island. You know, in my own case, I live in Connecticut. Uh, it's considered that's really, really where the quality of life is the highest, and it's very. But, but the suburbanization was has come into question, and that was her point yesterday. But I thought it was funny because it must not make sense to Brazilians to think about living in, in why would anybody ever want to live in suburbs? So, but so Brazil hasn't quite urbanized in exactly the same way. We are in cities. We're in nossos próprios castelos, com medo de assalto, maybe. But everybody is there together. In, in, a, in a common place. And I think Regina said it much better today at lunch than these words will say it, but cities 
um, are important for another reason. They drive growth, uh, poverty reduction, prosperity, but it's, it's easier to make change in a city. It's hard. God knows it's hard. Your own comments made that clear during this last two weeks and today as I overheard you discussing. It's hard, but it's, it is easier than dealing with a national economy. Um, and, and cities uh, can learn from international experiences more quickly. And the experience of cities is more easily diffused, difundido, divulgado, divulgado e difundido. Cities, uh, in the words of this historian, our policies are initiated from below and then diffused by example. So that's the focus on cities. I think you already know that. Just to remind you, these are some of the big trends in cities. Uh, why? Some of the global mega trends. Some of these Professor Fuse mentioned. You know the the fact that in, I think all of them have to do with Brazil, urbanization, rising inequality, and how that affects cities. Sustainability. Remember her comments yesterday about green economies and that being an argument to bring more people into cities. Technological change. Something that economists call uh, industrial clusters and global value chains. Uh, it's easier. Uh, to grow, to create jobs, to increase productivity, when similar country, companies are, are, are geographically together. They're close to one another in, in what are called clusters. We'll talk about clusters. Um, do you all know that word? Arranjos produtivos locais, I think, is the way to... Custei muito para aprender essa expressão. I think that's what they say. That's what they say, clusters in, in Portuguese. And, and, and global value chains. What are global value chains? value chains are participating in global trade. Uh, there's increased integration of factories. One factory is not producing from a beginning, the automobile from beginning to end. It depends on a global value chain to contribute parts, a free flow of goods and services. And this is also something that is facilitated by that successful cities facilitate. It's a trend in the world. Cities are able better able to take advantage because of their better logistics, uh, um, the diversity of companies, they're better able to take advantage of global value change. And then challenges of governance. Um, how do you manage a, a city? Um, Gina mentioned this at, at lunch, but it's complex. City government is complex. Um, but in addition to city government, it's complete regional government. When you have, I think there are 39 municipios that are a part of Grande São Paulo. There's 18 municipios that are part of Grande Rio. Uh, and then there's states, and then there's the federal government. So governance issues uh, are, are, are complex, but it's a, com it's a complexity that faces, faces all cities. And the best cities get that right. So that's sort of like some megatrends. This all comes from the reading. You've probably already seen that already, but I just wanted to, uh, uh, and I'm referring now to from the World Economic Forum on the competitiveness of cities. I, I recommend you read it. It's made for non-economists, for non-specialists, but even a, but economists and everyone else can enjoy it. So that's sort of the, the trends. Uh, now, um, I, I tried to, um, now, having exposed you to a lot of different thoughts, try to simplify it a little bit and move into more case studies, because I think we learn better pensando em casos do que na teoria econômica. So I've switched now. Uh, uh, I've taken from the previous slide to this one. I've adapted an approach used by the World Economic Forum in, in looking at cities, trying to adapt that very complicated 12-pillar approach, right? 
for national economies trying to adapt it to cities. And I think basically what they concluded was it isn't easily translatable. It's important to have in mind. But looking at competitiveness in cities, they use another approach, simpler to understand, or at least to grasp, harder to measure. And that's going to be a challenge. But the definition of city competitiveness are the set of factors, policies, institutions, strategies, and processes. So here you have management, a strategy of development, the institutions that govern the life of a city, the policies of the prefectura uh, that determines the level of sustainable productivity of a city. Not just bougie uh in terms of economic growth, but create fast-growing cities. Thank you for joining us on this Columbia University Comunitas Public Management Podcast. Please join us for other podcasts here on this website.